Welcome to Calvary. Glad you guys are here with us this morning. Good morning, everybody who's with us at home. Excited to be in the Word together this morning. We're going to continue our study in John 8. We're going to finish up John 8 today, and, uh, and then we'll jump into John 9 next week. Let me start by asking you a question. How many of you have ever seen counterfeit money? How many of you have ever seen counterfeit money? Now, I'm not asking if you've ever used it. I'm not trying to, like, incriminate you. So you can, like, you know, I don't think the video can see if you raise your hand, but how many of you have ever seen a, a real piece of counterfeit money? Yeah. I was at the gas station one time, and the person in front of me went up to pay for their gas, and uh, they handed the cashier a $100 bill, and the cashier took it and kind of started looking at it funny and, and then said to the person, this is a counterfeit bill. And the person got really nervous, and they were like, what? How, what? No, I... I They just kind of started freaking out. Do you know how the cashier was able to tell that it was counterfeit? The the cashier just held it up to the light. And she had this this little flashlight that she could shine. And by shining that light into the counterfeit bill, it exposed the reality that the bill was not real, that it was counterfeit. It was missing this little plastic strip that runs through real $100 bills. The light exposed the counterfeit nature of the bill. And that's what light does. Light exposes, light reveals. Light shows us what is true and real. In John chapter 8, Jesus says that he is the light of the world. And as the light of the world, Jesus exposes and reveals what is true, what is real. He shows us who God truly is. He reveals to us what it means to truly be one of God's people. And as we continue in our study of John 8, what we're going to see today is that that Jesus, the light of the world, reveals and exposes what it means to be a true or a genuine disciple. What it means for us to, to truly live as one of God's genuine people. John chapter 8 records this back-and-forth conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. And and in in this conversation, Jesus has said some incredible things about who he is, that he is the light of the world, that he came so that we might experience the light of life. He came to set us free, set us free from slavery to, to lies and darkness and sin, and instead set us free to live as God's people, to live in relationship with God. Now, as the Pharisees heard this, they didn't believe Jesus. And they argued with him about who he really was and and what it really meant to be one of God's people. They didn't believe that Jesus was the light. And they didn't even believe that they needed to be set free. And so today, as we continue... In John chapter 8, we're going to see Jesus once again in his conversation with the Pharisees and ultimately in his conversation with us, revealing to us, exposing to us what it truly means to be one of God's people, what it means to be a genuine disciple. This morning, we're going to see three marks or three characteristics of what it means to be a genuine disciple. Let's look at them together. First, genuine disciples of Jesus, genuine disciples of Jesus believe in Jesus, and become more like Jesus. Genuine disciples of Jesus both believe in Jesus and, over time, 
become more and more and more like Jesus. Look with me at verses 37 and 38. Look down at your Bibles. In verses 37 and 38, Jesus begins to once again engage the Pharisees. And last week in the passage that we looked at, the Pharisees said, hey, look, we don't need to be set free. We are, we're children of God. We're children of Abraham. We're connected to Abraham. And because we're connected to Abraham, we don't need to be set free from anything. Jesus knows that down deep in their hearts, there's this this religious pride, this kind of spiritual arrogance And that in pointing to their spiritual heritage, they're actually rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Verse 38, Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Now in verse 39, the Pharisees respond again. They respond by reminding Jesus one more time of their connection to Abraham. They're just not hearing him. They're not understanding him. One more time, they point back to Abraham, and and now very clearly, Jesus points out an inconsistency. An inconsistency in their claim and an inconsistency in their heart. Look with me at verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? What was Abraham really known for? Well, Abraham believed God in his heart, and Abraham obeyed God in his life, and Abraham was known as a man who lived by faith, and his life revealed the reality that he belonged to God. His life was being changed by God more and more and more over time. He believed in God, he obeyed God, and his belief in God showed up in the way that he lived his life. What Jesus is saying here to these Pharisees is that if you're truly Abraham's children, then why don't you act like Abraham did? If you're Abraham's children, why are you trying to kill me, one who's come from God? Your life should show that you belong to God. The same is true for us. If we are genuine disciples of Jesus, our lives should reflect Jesus. Let me say it like this. The life we live should become more and more and more like the life Jesus lived. The life we live should, over time, become more and more and more like the life that Jesus lived. Jesus spoke about this in another way in Luke's gospel. In speaking of the way that our identity will show up in the way that we live. Look at, look at these words on the screen. Luke 6 43 through, or 33 through, 43 through 45. It says, Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. 
Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know a tree by its fruit. What Jesus is saying here is that if we are truly his disciples, if we are genuine followers of Jesus, then over time our lives should reveal that more and more and more. That the way we speak should reveal the reality of who we are in our heart. The way we act should reveal the reality of who we really are in our heart. And if we're not one of Jesus' truly one of Jesus' true disciples, it's going to show up in our life. Now, none of us are perfect. If we're a follower of Jesus, then we're a sinner who's been saved by grace. But if we belong to Jesus, we're a sinner who's being changed by that same grace. And over time, more and more, our life will reflect his life. Let me say it like this. It's on the screen. Genuine disciples of Jesus are in a lifelong process of spiritual transformation. It's lifelong, but it is a transforming process. More and more. Renovation from the inside out. Jesus changes us to become more and more like him. Think about a broken down, beat up old house. Beat up on the outside, beat up on the inside, just a mess. And then this master carpenter comes to live in the house and starting way down in the basement at the level of the foundation, he begins to renovate the house from the inside out. Gradually, day by day, week by week, renovating the house, starting with the foundation, working on the walls, working his way out to the exterior of the house. Over time, that house is changed. That house is transformed by the carpenter who's living inside of it. Ultimately, the house one day is this beautiful, restored home. That's the work of Jesus in our hearts. He comes to live in us. And from the inside, from our hearts, out into our lives, he begins to renovate us and change us. If we are genuine disciples of Jesus, then over time, not only will we believe in him, but we will become more like him. That's the first mark of what it means to be a genuine disciple. Number two, genuine disciples love Jesus. Genuine disciples love Jesus. Now, you might think, well, duh, but, but let's look at the text, and you're going to see that like, this is one that that is very revealing of, of who we really are. Verse 42, Jesus tells the Pharisees that if they were really God's children, then they would truly love Jesus. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. In other words, Jesus is saying, if God is your heavenly father, then you will love his son. And if you don't love the Son, then God isn't truly your Father. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty clear. But I would say in our world today, it's, it's very popular for people to say things like this. See, I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person, but I'm just not really into Jesus. Or, yeah, I, I believe in God, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. It's very common to have this kind of vague spirituality, but not live with clarity about following Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus says, no, 
It doesn't work like that. If you truly love God, then you will love me. One of my study Bibles, it's called the Gospel Transformation Bible, says this in the notes for this passage. It's up on the screen. It says, no one can have God as their father if they don't love his son as their savior. No one can have God as their father if they don't love his son as their savior. And so this really begs the question for all of us. And let's not just go like, yeah, that's for, that's for people with a vague spirituality. Let's just think about this as people who profess faith in Jesus. Do we really love him? Do we really love Jesus? Or are we just kind of connected to Jesus because of what we think Jesus is going to give to us? Like, like Jesus is going to keep us out of hell. Or Jesus is going to help us have a nice, comfortable life or a, or a good family. Do we really love Jesus? You may be thinking, well, I, I, I don't know. I think I do. How do I know? Well, let me, let me share some, some diagnostic thoughts and questions just to help us really gain a sense for where our hearts are and our affections are with respect to Jesus. First of all, I th- we think about what we love. When we really love someone or love something, we think about it a lot. And so here's an important question. How often do I think about Jesus? Like when I have just unlike scheduled time in the car, when I'm kind of working on something that's fairly mindless, where does my mind drift? Does it drift to Jesus? Do I think about Jesus? We think about what we love. Number two, we talk about what we love. When we really love someone or love something, we talk about it a lot. Even when we experience something wonderful, we talk about it. This week I went to lunch at the Cherry Cricket. Had a really good cheeseburger. The whole afternoon, guess what I talked about with just about everybody I encountered? The 303 Chili Rieno Burger at the Cherry Cricket. Because it was really good. I enjoyed it. In fact, I would say to a degree, I love that cheeseburger. So I talked about it. We talk about what we love. How often do you talk about Jesus? Number three, we spend time with what we love. Like when something really matters to us, it'll show up in our schedule. How much time do you spend with Jesus? And, And maybe even another way to think about this, do you give your best time to Jesus? Like I know for me, my mind is the most alert and sharp. My heart is, is ready to engage first thing in the morning. I'm, I'm not real good after about like 7 o'clock at night. I'm pretty good in the morning. And so I try to give my best time in the morning to Jesus. Last thing, we make sacrifices for what we love. Make sacrifices. We, we choose what's hard in order to to express love for what really matters to us. How are you sacrificing for Jesus? Now again, lest we kind of just like let this come to us and then like in our minds and hearts go, man, so-and-so really needs to hear this. Let me just, let me just remind us of something that, that Jesus says near the end of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to these churches in the ancient world and there's a church in the ancient city of Ephesus and in in Revelation 2 as Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus he commends them for a lot of good things that they did and 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 evil things that they turned away from but you know what his 
real criticism is of them, his real convicting words towards them, what he says, he says that they abandoned their first love. So they were doing a bunch of good things, but they weren't really loving Jesus. And I think for many of us, I think sometimes it's easy for us to drift out of love with Jesus. And so maybe the prayer for you today is just to ask the Holy Spirit to grow your love for Jesus again. To really just fan that flame of affection in your heart for Jesus as your friend and your brother and your savior and your king. Genuine disciples love Jesus. Finally, number three, genuine disciples of Jesus listen to Jesus and obey him. They listen to him and they obey him. Now, as Jesus continues, he's engaging with the Pharisees. In verse 43, he names the reason why they don't understand what he is saying. Look at verse 43. He says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And the reason why they can't bear to hear what he has to say is because their hearts are hardened with pride. Their hearts are so proud, arrogant, their religious heritage and their their religious behavior that they cannot bear to hear what Jesus is saying to us. And then in verse or to them. And then in verses 44 through 45, Jesus goes even deeper into why they don't hear him. Look at these verses. Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus says they don't hear and understand the truth. Not simply because they're bad listeners, it's because their true spiritual father is, according to Jesus, the devil. Now, I'm sure that didn't go over real well with these super religious Pharisees. I mean, religious people typically don't like to hear that their father is the devil. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you guys think that God is your father, but your desires do not reflect His desires, your desires reflect the desires of Satan himself. You are believing lies and you're living in those lies. You are living a lie. And the reason why you can't believe the truth is because you belong to the father of lies. Jesus continues, clarifies in verses 46 and 47. Jesus says, which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus says that these Pharisees, they believe that they are really God's people, but in reality, they're just believing lies about God, about themselves, about Jesus and their life is reflecting these lies. But Jesus says that God's people listen to God's truth. They believe the truth of God. Genuine disciples listen to the truth of Jesus and they believe him. And this is a key marker of our new identity in Jesus. But the reality is, as disciples, we're often, we're often prone to wander back into lies, to believing lies about God and about ourselves. We believe the truth for a time and then we slowly kind of move back towards believing lies. 
about God and about ourself. I read this this week from a guy named Greg Morse. I thought this was so helpful. Look at these words on the screen. Greg Morse says this. He says, although God has transferred us from the domain of darkness, placed us into the kingdom of his beloved son, and given us the spirit of adoption as sons, all of his good pleasure, yet we can still imagine ourselves dressed in spiritual rags, waiting for our unconvinced father to determine whether his choice to have us was the right one. Although we are adopted, cleansed, given a new name, a new identity, a new spirit, we can still think like orphans, feel like orphans, behave like orphans. In other words, we're just really prone to believing lies, to drifting back into that place of believing lies about God, about ourselves, and it leads us away from God. And it leads us away from obeying Him. Let me show you the progression. It's like this on the screen. It starts with believing lies. Lies about God, lies about ourselves. Then it leads to distrust. The Pharisees believed lies about who they were and about who Jesus was, and it led them not to trust Jesus. And then, ultimately, it leads us to disobey Jesus. We believe lies, we distrust God, and then we disobey Jesus. Here's another way to think about it. Milton Vincent in the Gospel Primer says this. He says, every time I deliberately disobey a command of God, it is because I am in that moment doubtful of God's true intentions in giving me that command. Does he really have my best interest at heart? Or is he withholding something from me that I would actually be better off having? That's what's underneath our disobedience. A distrust in God and his love for us, knowing what's best for us, wanting what's best for us. Here are two lies that I think drive our disobedience to Jesus. These are so common. I I put these two in part just because I know these are two that I struggle with a lot. My guess is others will as well. Here are the two lies. Number one, God doesn't really know or want what's best for me. Now, I'm not going to say that out loud. I'm not going to say to somebody, yeah, I don't think God really knows what's best for me or wants what's best for me. But that's what I think in my, in my head. That's probably what I believe in my heart. That's my functional belief. Here's the second lie. God isn't really enough. He's not enough to comfort me and give me joy. So I've got to find that comfort somewhere else. I've got to find that joy someplace else. He doesn't know what's best for me, and honestly, he's not what's best for me. When I believe those lies, it leads to distrust, and then it leads me to disobey. It leads me away from God and away from what is good. So what do I need to do to fight? What do I need to do to to live in a different way? Well, I need truth. And here are two truths I need all the time, and so do you. Truth number one, God is good. God is good. His commands are good, and obeying Him is always what's best for me. I need that truth, and I need to trust that truth. Here are some words from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always. And oh, Calvary, that we would have this heart as genuine disciples always to keep all my commands, that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. Keeping the commands of God leads life to go in the direction that God designed, and that's the best life for all of us. 
It might not always be easy. In fact, a lot of the time it's going to be hard, but it's always good. Oh, that we would keep all his commands, that it might go well with us and our descendants forever. God is good, his commands are good, and obeying him is what is best for me. I need that truth, and so do you. I got to preach that truth to my unbelieving heart all the time. Second truth, God is more than enough for me. He's more than enough, and he's more than enough for you. And I don't have to look other places for comfort and joy. He's more than enough for me, and he's more than enough for you. And I don't have to look other places for comfort and joy. Here's some great words from 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power, God's power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What, what's missing? Nothing. All things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellent. He is more than enough for us. He's more than enough. And so I don't have to look other places. I don't have to expect other people to be my comfort and joy. I don't expect a certain circumstance to happen to have comfort and joy. I don't have to look to, to some substance or some, you know, something I'm going to watch on TV. I don't need to look other places for comfort and joy. God is more than enough for me. I need that truth. You need that truth. That truth helps us fight against believing the lies that will lead to distrust and disobedience. Genuine disciples listen to Jesus and obey him. Look at verse 51. Jesus makes a really important promise here about, about obedience and eternity. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. And again, when Jesus says truly, truly, that means I'm going to say something really important. Listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. There's a great promise here, a promise connected to our obedience. Jesus is saying that our hope in death is vitally connected to our obedience in life. Let me say that again. Our hope in death is vitally connected to our obedience in life. Jesus is saying that if we keep, which means hearing and obeying his teaching, then we will not taste death. Now, what does he mean? Does he mean that like if we just do a whole bunch of good things that that's going to save us? That that's going to keep us out of hell? Is Jesus saying that, that our good works, that our, that our obedience, that our believing and doing what he says will keep us away from hell and lead us into heaven? Is he saying we can earn long life by living a good life? It's not what he's saying. What he is saying is this. Listen so carefully. Jesus is saying that being a genuine disciple is more than just praying a prayer. It's more than just attending church periodically. Being a genuine disciple means keeping Jesus' word. If we are a true disciple, if we've really believed in Jesus in our heart, if we've received him in faith, then the Spirit is going to lead us into a new way of living, which is going to mean increasing obedience in our life. Not, not perfection, <laughs> Not like a life free from failure. Not like, hey, I'm going to do pretty good this day and then I'm going to fall. No, no. What he's saying is if you're a genuine disciple, then the trajectory of your life is going to be increasing obedience. That's the marker of the work of God in your heart. The marker that you have truly been saved by grace. That same grace is going to empower your obedience. Being a genuine disciple 
means keeping Jesus' word. And the promise here is that if we trust Jesus, if we receive him in faith, and then in that same faith walk in obedience, we can look forward to life with Jesus forever. There's so much hope here. There's so much hope. And I want to make one more connection as we close. And this is, I think this is probably the most, the most important connection for most of us. So we're talking about listening to Jesus and obeying Jesus, hearing what he says, doing what he says. And, and I just a few minutes ago talked about loving Jesus. And I think some of us can hear this and go, well, isn't being a disciple about loving Jesus, about experiencing his love in our life? And so I want to connect love to obedience because these things go together in this unbreakable, unshakable way. In fact, Jesus says later in John's gospel, John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's connecting the reality of our love to the faithfulness of our obedience. If we love Jesus, if we're genuine disciples, then with the Lord's help, we will pursue this kind of life. And let me flip it and share with you a game-changing truth about obeying Jesus. Let me, let me show you what drives that obedience. Let me show you what, what fans that flame of love in our hearts. It's on the screen. Jesus' genuine love for us, his love for us demonstrated in his obedience to the Father, that's how he showed his love for us, powers our genuine love for him and our obedience. His love for us powers our love for him. John Bloom wrote these words. These are so good. He says, The most important place in Scripture or anywhere else where we see love demonstrated through faith-empowered obedience is in Jesus. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Listen to this. Jesus wore his love on his bloody sleeve. His love for us is demonstrated through his obedience to the Father. Perfect life, sacrificial death. He shows his love by what he does. In the same way, for genuine disciples, our life is going to show that love by what we do. Let me summarize just a few phrases coming up on the screen, a few sentences. Let me read these to you. Just let these wash over you. Let these land in your heart this morning. Let these encourage you as you think about living life as a disciple of Jesus. True disciples of Jesus. Become more like Jesus as they love him, listen to him, and obey him. That's the summary of John 8. Now, reminders of Jesus' love. Jesus became like you. He became like you. He left heaven, came and lived on earth. He became like you, but without sin, so that you could become more like him and less like your sin. Let that truth encourage you this week. Here's another one. Jesus loved you by following the Father all the way to the cross. He followed him all the way to the cross so that you can love him by following him and take up your own cross. 
His love powers your love and your obedience. Jesus faithfully obeyed the Father perfectly to cover your disobedience. You don't have to hide in shame. You don't have to try to cover up your own disobedience. No, Jesus died. His blood was shed to cover your disobedience, and his love now powers your faithful obedience to him. Finally, he came and made God's love non-ignorably clear to us. Through his obedience, he made God's love non-ignorably clear to us, and now he calls us to make him non-ignorably clear to others. To tell others the truth about what it really means to know God through Jesus, to invite them into relationship with him, to help them find him and then follow him. He demonstrated his love for us, and now as his people, he powers us to demonstrate our love for him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you are genuine and true. Thank you, Jesus, that that you are good and right in all your ways. Jesus, I ask now that through the Holy Spirit, you would help each of us here this morning, watching from home, to trust you in a deeper and truer way. To be honest with you about lies that we're believing, about you, about ourselves. To ask you for help, to, to trust you, to, to ask the Holy Spirit to grow us in our love for you, Jesus. Genuine love for you. Jesus, I pray that, that your demonstration of love for us through your life and your death and your resurrection would, would lead our hearts to worship. To worship you, that we would be so moved by your love for us, that we would respond in this, like we, we can't even help it kind of way with love for you. And because we love you, Jesus, we would, we would live in faithful obedience to you in all things. Jesus, lead us to come back to you when we fail. For drifting, Jesus, turn us and lead us back home to trust you again. And Jesus, be at work in us and be at work through us as you make us more and more like you this week. Help us to live as genuine disciples who make more genuine disciples. All for your glory, all for our joy, we pray it in your name. Amen.